The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Welcome to Church Online. My name is Jared. I'm an online campus pastor, and today I'm excited. We're going to be continuing our study in the book of Luke. Uh, man, I say this every single week, but if there's anything we can be praying with you or for you about, you can email me at jared at summitonline.tv, and I'd love to be praying with you. Today I want to tell you a story about a 16-year-old son and dad. This 16-year-old went to his dad and said, hey, dad, I just turned 16, and I want to drive the family car. And so his dad said, okay, well, you know, it takes a lot of maturity and a lot of time and things that I need you to just do three things for me. And so that son was like, okay, what are those three things? And dad said, first thing I want you to do is you got to get good grades because your grades are really bad right now. He's like, okay, I think I can do that. Second thing that he said, he was like, I want you to read your Bible every single day. So he was like, okay, okay, I can do that. And then the third thing is he said, I want you to cut your hair because, son, your hair looks horrible. So the son thought that one was going to be a little bit harder because he loved his hair, but he thought, okay, I can, I'll, I'll go about that. So at the end of the semester, his, the son comes to the dad and says, hey, dad, look, I worked so hard. I got all A's and B's on my report card. And his dad's like, man, great job. You're a third of the way there. He's like, okay, well, have you been reading your Bible every single day? He says, yeah, dad, every day I've read it. And like in it, it's been great. He's like, okay, well, my last question is then, when are you going to get your hair cut? He was like, well, dad, about that. The 16-year-old had been thinking about this one for a while and was trying to figure out ways that he could, you know, kind of trick his dad. His dad's old. He's not going to know. And so he says, well, dad, you know, as I was reading the Bible every day, you know, one thing that I noticed was that Jesus never cut his hair. So that's just one I don't think I'm going to do. His dad looked at him and was like, okay, well, I mean, I get that. And, you know, that's good that you're learning about Jesus. But one thing that you probably didn't really remember in, I guess, reading is, yeah, Jesus never cut his hair, but also Jesus walked everywhere. So yes, I know that's a stupid dad joke, and it's just dumb, but we live in a world that does exactly that. We like to pick and choose what we're obedient to and what we follow. We're not big fans of authorities telling us what to do. We like to, okay, well, I'm going to kind of go a little bit quicker than that speed limit. Like 70, that's a little too slow. I'm going to go 75. We always pick and choose down to those small things of speeding, but then also spiritually we pick and choose what we want to follow based on Scripture. And so today Jesus is addressing that issue of obedience. Jesus has finished his sermon. We've been going over this the past few weeks. He's been finished his sermon of the Sermon on the Plain. And Jesus lays out, love your enemies, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, forgive those who wrong you, Time and time again, do unto others. All of his great teachings are presented in this message. And now he's starting to address the people. And I want you to know he's addressing the people that claim to be followers of him. He's not, he's not talking to people that are not of the Lord and not claiming Christ. So he's talking directly to Christians. So Luke six forty six says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? So the first point today is obedience is not optional because it is the true test of professing Christ as Lord. So Jesus starts by asking, why do you call me Lord? So I think we look at what is religion and what is Christianity. Religious people, we say that Jesus is a great prophet. He's a great man. 
Some say he's the son of God. Some even say Lord Jesus. And this is where we kind of find like a little bit of tension because the word Lord means something different. Lord means having power or authority or influence, a master or ruler. Some call him Lord, but don't do the things that he says. Christianity, though, is true submission to the lordship of Jesus. Christianity starts with confessing that Jesus is Lord of your life. Romans 10.9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is the Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Christianity continues as we pursue and do what the Lord tells us. As we continue to submit to the Lord, we are drawn to actions because we desire to be more like Jesus and do what he says. When my wife asks me to change a diaper or to do the dishes, I don't do that to gain her love, but I do that because I love her. Same thing goes with Jesus. As we grow in a relationship with Jesus, we desire to follow what he says and put him in the position of lordship. So then Jesus continues with a parable and he talks about these two houses. So verse 47, as for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck the house, but could not shake it because it was well built. So the second point is obedience is not optional because it's the foundation that will withstand the test of time and eternity. The first home builder represents a person who hears and acts on the words of Jesus. He goes to the trouble of digging down deep in the soil until he hits the bedrock. He anchors his foundation to the bedrock so that his house rests on a solid foundation. So the first person, the first builder that we're talking about, he got to work. He heard what Jesus says. He reads what Jesus says, and he goes and he does that. I don't know if you've ever dug up anything or dug a trench, but it's not fun. It's a lot of work. But this person decided, man, my foundation is going to be on the rock. The foundation of obedience enables Christians to stand firm when trials hit. We all know that trials will hit, but when our foundation is on Jesus and on the foundation of obedience, then we can withstand the trials. So Jesus continues, verse 49. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck the house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. So you have the first builder that built it on a foundation and now we have the second builder who built it without a foundation. And I was wondering to myself, like, what are some reasons why he probably did that? So I think it's, honestly, some of it was just that it was too much work. It was uncomfortable. Like I said, it's not fun building, digging up a ton of dirt and all of that to get to the rock. It took too much time. Have you ever had a problem in your house that the previous owner had fixed the problem, put a Band-Aid on that problem, and then you move into the house, and then that problem becomes a lot bigger problem. So then you spend all kinds of time and money to fix the problem that that guy made, and then also then extra money to fix the actual problem. It's the worst. He also wanted the benefits of the house right now. So he's sitting there, the second builder, and he's looking over at Bill, who's still digging, 
And he's like, man, I'm sitting in my recliner. I'm watching TV. I'm hanging out in the AC. That guy's still digging. I'm kind of enjoying this right now. Then the third thing, he was living for the here and now and not looking to the future. So he's sitting inside his house. He's watching Bill still digging. And he's like, flood? What flood? Like, it's a beautiful day, not a cloud in sight. Like, there's nothing going wrong. So we look at those three things and we think about how can we apply that spiritually to our lives. And so the first thing is it's too much work. Jesus calls us sometimes to do some, some things that are hard, take a lot of time. For example, I don't know if you're this way, but it's hard for me to love people sometimes. There's certain people that are in your life that are, it's a chore to love them. God calls us to serve our neighbors and to love them and to go and serve at our local missions and go and profess the name of Jesus. And sometimes those things are hard and they take a lot of money and a lot of time away from family and things that we just don't feel comfortable doing because it's just too hard. Jesus asks us to do these things and we say, man, it's just too hard right now. Like, I'm going to do that later. Like, the second thing, a lot of people want the benefits of Jesus right now. Just like that builder wanted the benefits of the house, but he didn't want to put in the work. But we, a lot of times, just like the things of Jesus. We like that he offers salvation. You might really, really like coming to church and feeling good. You might be moved by worship music or you might be moved by the talk. We like those things now. Then the third thing, a lot of people live for the here and now and not looking to the future. You know, I get very nearsighted a lot of the time in my life. And I don't think about... And living on mission and living for the kingdom. I'm so worried about getting ahead in life and financially is, are me and Taylor, like, do we, are we doing good? Are we doing this? How can I make this money do this? So I'm so focused just on the here and now that I forget that I'm supposed to be living on mission. I'm so worried about people's own approval, people's approval of me and the, my work and my job and the things, how I'm a father, all these things, I look for their approval. When ultimately, what I need to be hoping for is one day and to be told, well done, good and faithful servant from my Lord. And so, Christians, people that claim the name of Christ, what is your foundation? What is God calling you to? Are you being obedient in what Jesus is calling you to? Now, this is not we have to gain works. Like I said earlier, I do not do the things for my wife to gain her love. Thankfully, she loves me, but I do those things because I love her. So today, what is Jesus calling you to do? Where is your foundation? Is it time just to get to work? Has God been calling you to a specific task that you just don't want to because it costs too much money or it takes too much time or it makes you uncomfortable? Are you living for the here and now and building up your storage and building up your money and building up everything to live this great life rather than living on mission and thinking for the future? Are you just wanting the things of Jesus that are the good things And the easy things, I like that he gives me salvation. I don't have to worry about heaven and hell. 
I just get to kind of live my life because, hey, I'm saved. And I want to encourage you and hear what Jesus is saying and go do and get to work. Now on the flip side, if you are a person that hasn't put Jesus as lordship in your life, you haven't accepted Jesus Christ, you might be asking, man, seems like Christianity is just a bunch of rules and you're telling me to go do things and we already talked about we don't really like authority in our life. And so why can Jesus ask to be authority in my life? What is it that puts him at this place where he can say, hey, follow me, put me as lordship of your life and do what I say? And I think those are very valid questions if you don't know what Jesus actually did for you. And so I was at a camp a few years ago and uh, this Marine was telling the story and the Marine was on, got a mission to uh, go rescue four reporters that were captured. And so these four reporters were in about a six by six concrete block in the ground, kind of hole, no bathroom, um, had just kind of a wood piece over there, kind of the hole. So these four guys stayed in that room all the time. They would get tossed down food. There was no bathroom. It was just no lights. It was just dark, gross. Not trying to be gross, but they were living in their own filth. Because there was no bathrooms, that's where they had to go. And so these four guys had to live through a horrible time. The guards at the time would sometimes get bored with guarding them and tell them, hey, you guys, get up, the Americans are here, you guys are free to go. And so these four reporters would get up and run to the gate. And then these guards would go and then they would shoot their guns just kind of right over their heads. And these four guys would then hit the deck and then these guards would go up and just beat them up, beat them just to a pulp and then throw them back in. And so time and time again, that would happen. They would let them up, they would run, and they would beat them up and then put them down. Well, finally, these four guys got so tired of being beaten up and got so tired of being like abused and faked out and tricked that every time that the guards would open up the dungeon, they would lock arms and get on all fours, kind of get on their hands and knees and just kind of make like a little, like we're not going anywhere. So they started doing that. So now back to the Marine. So now the Marine is on mission to go get these guys. He's in charge of his platoon, or whatever it's called, I'm sorry. Um, and so they get there. All their family are watching at the White House, and so they have the camera stuff on. And so they get there, and they have it in a short amount of time that they have to accomplish this mission. So the chopper lands, and this Marine says they run to the hole, get them, open it up. And he said that at the time that they opened it up, even some of his guys that he was leading were throwing up because of just how bad the smell was. And so he yelled down to these guys. He said, we're with the United States. You need to come with us. We're here to rescue you. And those guys did not get up and get out. Well, what did they do? They connected arms and got on their hands and knees. So this Marine said he was pleading with them, like, I am with the United States. Your family is listening. Like, they're watching right now. They're at the White House waiting on you to come home. Please come with me. They didn't move, didn't budge. He said he just kept begging with them and begging with them and begging with them, like, please, please, please. So finally, um, over his intercom, over his thing, the White House said, abort mission. 
And so all of the other guys that were trained to do this, they all got up and ran back to the chopper. And this Marine said he just could not leave. And so he did what he was not supposed to do and what he was trained not to do ever was he took off his gun, he took off his pack, and he jumped down in to the hole. And so he starts shaking one of the guys and he's like, I am the real deal, I'm with the United States. And he said he was just screaming at this guy, like pleading with him to come with him. And he said that guy's face changed and there was joy that was brought over his face. And so then this guy started telling the other guys like, hey, this, we gotta go, like this is real. And that's where they all started arguing and that's where the Marine had found out a lot about what had happened with them getting beaten up so many times and with them getting tricked so many times. And the other guys were saying, no, it's just another trick. It's just another ploy to get us out so they can beat us up. So finally, the guy convinced them like, to go. So they got in the chopper. They got home. And the Marine was talking to that, one of the, the reporter uh, later on and was just like, man, what, what was, like, why did you actually come with me? Like, what? changed your mind in this. The guy looked at him and he was like, oh, I knew that you were the real deal because the guards would never get in our mess with us. The guards, they didn't want anything to do with down there. He was like, you smelled it. You saw it. It was gross. They weren't coming down. And so going to that question, what right does Jesus have to be our authority to be your authority and to be your Lord. Well, it's because Jesus came down and got in our mess. And he came and lived a perfect life, dealing with the same things that we dealt with, lived a perfect life and then died on a cross for you and for me. And then three days later rose again, declaring that he was God. So for the believer think it's a good reminder to remind ourselves why we put him as lordship and also if you have never accepted Jesus as your lord and you want to find out more about that I'd love for you to email me and I would love to reach out to you just to talk to you about that for the Christians what is your foundation are you obedient to the Lord not because we're trying to earn his love but because we love him Father, we thank you for who you are. Uh, God, I pray that we are obedient to you, that when you talk, we listen and we go do. Father, I pray for anyone that is wrestling with putting Jesus as Lord of their lives. God, I pray that they'll have boldness and realize what sacrifice you did for us. God, we love you thank you. It's in your awesome name. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And remember, we're for you because God is for you.